0: It is Friday, Good Friday, which is a phrase that obviously the church has applied to the day only in hindsight, only years after when we realize just how great and good this day is in one sense, but in another sense within the story itself, this is the day of days. This is Christ's D-Day unlike any that any man or woman has ever faced in the history of the world. It is Friday, sometime in the night or early Friday morning, perhaps 1 or 2 a.m., Jesus Christ is arrested in the garden. He's taken by soldiers and beaten. They bring him before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, who try him in their own fashion, complete with false witnesses. And then he's taken to Pilate and then to Herod, and then back to Pilate. And finally, he is taken to Golgotha and crucified. And one of the things that absolutely boggles my mind is the courage with which Christ faced all of this. Let's pick up the story in Luke 23. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Whoa, this is such a sober moment. I mean, Christ is already deeply, deeply tormented. You've probably seen some film depiction of this of some sort, the whipping, the scourging, the flesh torn from his body, the beating, the crown of thorns, the swollen eye, the broken lip. And now the reason they grabbed Simon from Cyrene to carry his cross is Jesus is stumbling so bad through the city streets, he can't carry that or drag it to Golgotha. So. That's the condition he's in, and yet he has the capacity to turn to these women and say, oh, oh, dear ones, let me warn you, pray not for me, pray for yourself, because what is about to come upon the earth is going to be horrible. If these things happen when the Son of God is in your midst, what is going to happen when he is taken from you? And of course, we've seen the evil that has swept the earth, if only in the in the 20th century alone, just staggering. Again, the capacity of Jesus to do this. Okay, the story goes on. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And then this remarkable moment where Jesus says, Father forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Why did he need to say this? Why then? Why there? Why in that moment? Could he feel the father's wrath? Could he feel just maybe that delicate moment when the father is about to just bring down his vengeance on these men and something moves Christ to say, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea who I am. They have no idea who you are. It is just beyond words. His capacity to live through this, fully present, fully here, fully human, and of course, fully God, fully man, it's just the courage And the love that you see displayed in this day is just absolutely beyond words. From John 19, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, and he's referring to John, whose gospel this is, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Here is your mother. Here is your son. Like, you have got to be kidding me. The man is hanging from the cross. He has nails through his wrists and through his feet. He is being tortured in one of the most cruelest forms that cruel humanity and government has ever come up with. And in the midst of this, he has the capacity to see his mother and to allow his heart to express itself to her. He takes care of her. He makes sure that she will be cared for after this. Oh. The beauty of this is just exquisite. And then from Mark 15, they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross, save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him Among themselves, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Eloi, the most horrible, haunting words in all of the Bible, in all of the history of words spoken. The Father has turned his back. I'm going to read something from George MacDonald's Sermon on the Eloi. He says, it is with the holiest fear that we should approach the terrible fact of the sufferings of our Lord. Let no one think that those were less because he was more. The more delicate the nature, the more alive to all that is lovely and true, lawful and right, the more does it feel the antagonism of pain, the inroad of death upon life the more dreadful is that breach of the harmony of things. He felt more than man could feel because he had a larger feeling. He was even, therefore, worn out sooner than another man would have been. These sufferings were awful indeed when they began to invade the region about his will, when the struggle to keep consciously trusting in God began to sink in darkness. When the will of the man put forth its last determined effort in that cry after the vanishing vision of the Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Never had it been so with him before. Never before had he been unable to see God beside him. He could not see, he could not feel him near, and yet it is, My God, that he cries. Thus, the will of Jesus, in the very moment when his faith seems about to yield, is finally triumphant. It has no feeling now to support it, no beatific vision to absorb it. It stands naked in his soul and tortured as he stood naked and scourged before Pilate. Pure and simple and surrounded by fire, it declares for God. The sacrifice ascends in the cry, My God. The cry comes not out of happiness, not out of peace, out of hope, not even out of suffering comes that cry. It was the cry in desolation, but it came out of faith. It is the last voice of truth speaking when it can but cry. The divine horror of that moment is unfathomable by human soul. It was blackness of darkness, and yet... He would believe, yet he would hold fast. God was his God, yet my God. And in the cry came forth the victory, and all was over soon. MacDonald goes on to say, I do not think it was our Lord's deepest trial when in the garden he prayed that the cup might pass from him and prayed yet again that the will of the Father might be done. For that will was then present with him, He was living and acting in the will of the father, but now the foreseen horror has come. He is drinking the dread cup and the will of the father, the father himself has vanished from his eyes. Were that will visible in his suffering, his will could bow with tearful gladness under the shelter of its grandeur, but now his will is left alone to drink the cup of the will in torture. In the sickness of his agony, the will of Jesus arises perfect at last and of itself unsupported now declares a naked consciousness of misery hung in the waste darkness of the universe declares for God in defiance of pain, of death, of apathy, of self, of negation, of the blackness within and around it, calls aloud upon the vanished God. This is the faith of the Son of God. God withdrew, as it were, that the perfect will of the Son might arise and go forth to find the will of the Father. And so, here we are. Jesus Christ accepted forsakenness so that there would be no realm, no realm of human experience that was beyond his own personal understanding. No realm of human experience, nothing that we go through, could we be able to say, but he doesn't know this. But he doesn't know this. Nah, he knows it all, friends. He knows it all. And he rises. He rises in the black, horrible darkness of forsakenness to declare for God to cry out for God so that when we are in that place, he can be our strength and enable us to cry out for God also. Oh yes, this is Good Friday. Good in so many, many ways.